1: looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
2: The title of the message that we began last week, which was Serving the Lord God's Way. And that really kind of Got my thinking, when we had our boys, we adopted them when they were in elementary school, and it wasn't long. These kids were pretty excited about being adopted, and they really wanted to have a family, and one struggled a whole lot more than the other. But the one that really didn't do much struggling, he really wanted to do everything we wanted him to do. He found out what our heart was, and he really served us our way. Now, the other son, he was a little different now. He wanted to please us, but in his mind, he wanted to please us his way rather than our way. For example, we might say, we want to make sure we put the trash can out by the street, and we want to make sure that it's about four feet from any car that's around it, so the machine can come and take it and all of that, and we'd like to have it done sometime uh, in the morning before you go to school. And so he would please us his way, which would mean he'd roll that trash can right out in the middle of the street, and his mind was, I didn't want that garbage truck to miss our can. Well, you, you can't do that, because you know the problems. So he meant well, and I believe he really wanted to honor us, but he did it his way instead of following the instructions, which now comes into play for you and me. Sometimes what happens is that in our heart, there really is this desire for us to please the Lord or to serve the Lord, but sometimes we go sideways with that, and we want to serve the Lord kind of our way, or maybe based on the last sermon or message or book or CD we've either heard or read, Instead of really digging deep into the word and say, all right, Lord, I know you want me to serve you your way, so let me find out, how do I serve you your way? So I hope you have that in your mind, that you're now coming a little bit further than just serving the Lord, but now you want to do it as accurately from the inside out as possible. Now let me speak to a different group of people, possibly, that are listening today. Some of you, when you hear the word serve the Lord, it might scare you because you think, what does it mean to serve the Lord? Is he trying to get all of us to be a person who is going to be so different that his whole life is just serving the Lord. And what I mean by that is if you and I would kind of go to the mall with a camera and maybe a microphone and we quiz people at the mall and we said, tell me, what does serving the Lord mean? They probably would say, well, that would mean being a preacher or a reverend or a minister or a monk or maybe a missionary. And so they think those guys are those that would probably be serving the Lord. The rest of us, we just kind of do it on Sundays maybe but we don't do it as a lifestyle like those guys would. Like one person said as a preacher, I get paid to be good, you're just good for nothing. Well, anyway, I'll just leave that alone. But the point of the matter is is our mindset and how we do that. So let me help you understand that when the Bible talks about serving the Lord, he's not necessarily talking about whether you're a preacher or a missionary. You could be a butcher, baker, candlestick maker, and you know where I'm going with that. So really what you're doing is you're looking at your life, and God made you a man or a woman, whether you're single or married or a parent. You might have connections in the community through a club or a committee or a team that you have. It could be on your job. However it is, you're connecting to other people and you're living your life here in America the way you think you should. Nothing wrong with that. But now you might say, all right, as a Christian, I want to live my life in a way that will count for God. That is called serving the Lord. And that's what God wants you to do. So serving the Lord doesn't necessarily mean that you have a particular title or that you don't begin serving the Lord until you go to a particular field. Serving the Lord is basically this. It's a Christian now saying, I've trusted Christ as my Savior. I know that Jesus Christ is the Lord God Almighty who died and rose again for me. And now I'm surrendering my life to him as the CEO of my life, which means every decision that I make that I want to make sure that it's grounded in A biblical principle, a biblical commandment, and that I'm doing it with the right motive as unto him. So that means, very simply, you serve the Lord as a dad. You serve the Lord as a mom in your role. You serve the Lord as a husband or a wife. You serve the Lord as an employee or a supervisor or a business owner. Whatever you do, when you choose to live your life to please him according to scripture his way, you're serving the Lord. And that means all of us are involved in ministry in some case or another. Last, I want to say before I get into the actual message, and that's this. There may be some of you that are going to be taking what I'm saying, and you're on the other side of Christianity, or you're on the other side of knowing for sure that you're going to heaven by faith alone. You might hear these things that I'll be sharing, these truths, and you'll say, oh, that must mean I need to do these things so God will be happy with me so that it'll allow me to go into heaven. The Bible never teaches that, therefore I will never teach that. Some of you might say, okay, I trusted Christ, but I need to be serving the Lord, or maybe I really didn't trust him, or I've got to do that to stay saved, so I don't lose it or something like that. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that, and neither will I teach that. This is, again, for those who have fully trusted Christ as their Savior. They are sealed by the Lord and the Holy Spirit. You're empowered by the Holy Spirit, and now we have an instruction manual on how to do it God's way, and that's what we're going to learn. So let's give you a backdrop to where we are and why I'm picking this subject. It wasn't that I was sitting up in my office and said, I got a bunch of people that are serving God there, and I need to really beat on them this morning. That's not really where I'm coming from. We teach the Bible verse by verse, which is the healthiest and the safest way for us to learn and to preach the Bible. That being the case, we're in a part of Scripture, Romans chapter 15, that actually is coming to the close of Romans. We started with him talking about sin, salvation, security. We talked about uh, sanctification, his sovereignty, and then how to serve him. And now he is summarizing this. He's bringing it to a close. And next week, we're going to end with about two or three more messages, of course, in Romans 16. And we're going to talk about saying hello to and saying goodbye from as we bring the book to a close. Right now is his autobiography. Now, when you read an autobiography, it's generally that person writing about himself. And I love to read autobiographies because nobody knows your story than you yourself the best. On the other hand, it's always easy to fudge a little bit on what you're saying because it's you writing this. Well, while we will enjoy reading autobiographies because it tells us more about the person, it might inspire us, we might pick up something that they did that we would like to do too. Kind of helps us to see how they approach life in that situation. When you read an autobiography of scripture, it's a little different. What's different about it is that when it's recorded in scripture, that autobiography is, yes, written by the one who's writing it, but he is not the one who is prompted in exactly what to write. That's actually coming from God the Holy Spirit. So now you have God the Holy Spirit putting in this person's mind and prompting. It's kind of like inspiration inspired from within what to write, what to leave out, how to say it exactly as it should be said, but through the person's personality. So when we read the autobiography of the Apostle Paul, who is writing this, you're now picking up a little bit about what really did happen. This is true. There's not error in this. He's not exaggerating, nor is he minimizing. He's telling it as it is, as the Spirit of God supernaturally is empowering him to write this. Now there's one thing else. I might read an autobiography of another person. Yay, it could even be a great Christian leader. And I'm following things, and I might learn some insights and things but it is not inspired by God. It's some good things, some practical things from a practical guy who's really living. And I hope I'll pick up some things from his life. And I have from missionaries. I enjoy reading them and great pastors, men and women. Not pastor women, women but you know what I mean, Christian leaders. Now, when I read scripture, though, this is something else. When it's recorded in scripture and Paul is writing this and it's his autobiography, he's writing it not just so that you can say, hey, I know the Apostle Paul. Or he's not writing to say, hey, look at me. It's kind of a double thing going on. He's writing something that is truth that God wants us to know, not merely about the Apostle Paul, although a lot of it is his history in this section, but he's also writing it so that we can extrapolate from that truth what are some principles from that person's life that we can begin to apply for ourselves. Hence, why else would God put it in Scripture? He didn't put it in Scripture just so we would have a history book. He put it in Scripture because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, including this portion of the Autobiography of Paul, so that we would be thoroughly equipped to every good work to do something. So now coming full circle, while we're talking about Paul, and I'll make some points, I want you to know that these are points for our life today, so that we would now be better equipped to do more good deeds in order to serve God, God's way. And I hope this might help you. Now, that is our backdrop, so let's take out our notes and open up our Bibles to Romans chapter 15, if you will, Romans chapter 15. Now, in this particular section of Scripture, Paul kind of begins his autobiography, and we've covered some points from last week, so let me just briefly go over those so that you can see some of the principles that we learned, and you can certainly get this on our our website if you want to get the message. You can also get the written copy of it as well, but let me go back to this answering the question, what are some biblical ingredients that we can gain from Paul's life and how we can serve the Lord God's way? Here's number one. We would respond to the grace of God that's given to us in order to minister. Now, again, don't hear merely a preacher. And it's easy to make that little step because you might think, well, that's Paul. Paul was a preacher, teacher, and an apostle. So that worked for him. But by extension, Scripture says, even if you're not a preacher, teacher, an apostle, whatever you are, you are called of God. God puts you where you are. He equipped you for work, and now he says this is how you serve him. So you, whatever job you have, whatever role you have, you're to minister, but you do it by God's grace and God's power. So what he has called you to do or to become, you are not alone. You're not to try to manufacture. It's not psycho-cybernetics. It's not think and then grow rich. What it really is, is following God's principles and responding to his grace. And Paul said, whatever he accomplished in his life, he said he did it by God's grace. And he took God's grace and he used it. So I want you to know that whatever God commands you to do, he gives you the grace to do it. The second is, we would have a humble servant's heart. It's pretty easy once we're given this grace and we start feeling this fulfillment and fruit in our life and things are really starting to rock and roll for God in our life, that it's easy for our hearts to be lifted up with pride. We see it in one of the Old Testament kings. And because of that, God brought them down. You can see that in an unsaved king. Lifted up, God brought him down. You can see it in everybody's life. And if we had the time, you probably could say a testimony. Here's when I... Let my humility get away from me and my pride set in and it began to grow this ugly weed. And God then had to clip it in my life. Because here's what happens. He says, I'll give you grace, but when you humble yourself, I'll give you more grace and then I'll exalt you. When I exalt you, stay humble so I'll give you more grace so I can continue exalting you. And the exaltation isn't, look at me, the exaltation is, here it is, a broader and deeper ministry for the glory of God. That's the exaltation that goes on. So again, you might want to check your heart. Are you proud of who you are and what you've done? Or are you proud of whose you are and what he's done through you? Here's the third truth we learn, and that is we have to have a pioneering spirit. Now, we learn how the Apostle Paul says, I will uh, go or, and, and not build on another man's foundation, basically meaning I want to reach out to people that haven't been touched before. Now, while he preached that, he lived that, he had that beating in his heart, and he wanted to do that, and that's kind of pricking the ears of some of you, you're saying, wow, that's good, I'm an entrepreneur. Some people call entrepreneurs entrepreneurs too because they just do it wrong. But the point of the matter is you're not afraid to try new things. Well, some of you might be a little little scared to do that. And if you are, let me just encourage you to seek the Lord, take some risks, take some chances, and realize that no matter how far you go, the Lord will never leave you, never forsake you, so you can boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man will do to me. Now, while he wanted to be that pioneer, and everywhere you see Paul is moving all about, doing things, meeting people, all kinds of situations, it wasn't that he didn't go back to some of the other places that he went to, and I wish I had time to show you. He kind of made the circuit, made the circuit. He wants to go here, but he had to go there. But it is that pioneering spirit. So my question to you is this. If you want to serve God God's way then you might ask the Lord, Lord, what new thing would you like me to try? What new ministry should I be involved in? What new person should I meet? What new way should I serve you? What new thing can I learn from you so I could add value to others? So begin to have that pioneering spirit. So don't get in a rut, because if you do, you'll get stale. So keep moving forward. The good news is, at this stage in the season of our church here, that God is already kind of shaking the apple cart up in a very lovely, wonderful, God-inspired way, very positively. We will be given an opportunity to to do new things. And I pray that our church here, those of you will be willing to hear and to learn and move in that direction of that pioneer spirit. That's how you serve God God's way. The fourth truth that we learn is that we have to also accept the providence of God, which means that you may try something and you might fail. I heard one pastor is pastoring a church that has 18,000 people He tells his crowd and pastors that come in a couple times a year to learn how to have healthy churches. And he said this, and it was so true. He said, at our church, we didn't learn so much of how to do things right. We learn what things don't work. All right, did you catch that? And I think sometimes if we want to move forward, we might learn some things that just don't work, that we might not be able to get all the things that we need to get done. We learned last week that sometimes the Lord will put a, a speed bump in our life. And sometimes that helps us to think more about the Lord or redirect our life or dig deeper in the Spirit. So if you try something and it fails, it doesn't mean you're a failure. You you actually gain something. You gain the truth. What doesn't work? And who's the greatest, in my opinion, example of that? Thomas Edison. How many different pieces of filament he tried before the light bulb finally turned on? He wasn't afraid to try something, but he also knew that there were times that he would be redirected in his life. Those of you who read missionary biographies, one of the things you'll find over and over again is how many of these guys and gals that wanted to go someplace or do something And they were prevented from doing that, and yet at the end of their life, they could look back and they could see this vast army of people that are going to heaven, that have had their lives changed, but it wasn't exactly the way they planned it. And that's only going to happen when it doesn't become your ministry, or quote, your empire, but it all becomes his, and you follow him. So... Accept the providence of God. And then last we learned is even though there is the providence of God, it's not the let go, let God mentality. We do need to have plans. It is important to set agendas and set schedules and have goals, if we might say. I prefer rather to say objectives because goals is something that's so strong we almost want to make them, and if we don't reach that goal, we fail. Objectives or desires could be changed, but at least they're on paper and we want to go there. So I would encourage all of you to maybe... Set this next year. What do you want to do differently? Where would you like to go? What plans would you like to make for your life as a mom, as a dad, as a husband, as a wife, as a son or a daughter, a brother, a sister, someone on your job, a businessman, a supervisor, an employee, a military person, someone on the ball team, or even a church member? What does God want you to do? What kind of plans can you begin making? And then let the Lord begin to work those plans out in your life and take your vitamins. Hang on. The ride will be exciting. Well, let's get into some new territory as he continues the study here and teaching us about how to serve the Lord God's way. So we go to number six. In all of this, obviously, there's going to be needing money or resources. So he kind of speaks to that whole issue of what about material provisions? And all of us, no matter what we do, we need to count the cost before we build a building and count the cost before we send our people out into war. And so we have to consider material provisions. Now, this section of Scripture is a very wonderful and rich section. It has got so much truth in there. So let me kind of teach you to answer some of the questions about giving to people that maybe not like you. And what about poor people? And who do we give? And what kind of people? And how do we handle all of this? A lot of those questions are answered in this one section. So let's begin looking at it. I'm going to read it through to you, and then I'll explain it. So follow along, if you will, beginning at verse 26 of chapter 15 through 28. It says, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution to the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they're indebted to minister them also in material things. Therefore, when I have finished this, and I put my seal on this fruit of theirs, I will go on by way of you to Spain. Well, a lot of kind of neat information in there, but let's see if we can get some deeper insight under this. You see where it says for Macedonia and Achaia? That's basically kind of north of Greece area. And you'll notice if you read through scripture that the this area was very poor, but unusual, those churches up there were very generous. And Paul actually commended them on their generosity kept showing up more and more. So even out of their poverty, they kept giving more and more and more, They may remain poor, but all of their needs were met because they could never outgive God, so they gave. So keep that in mind. These are poor people. Now, it was mostly filled up with Gentiles who became Christians. So these were, I'm going to use the term generally speaking, Gentile Christians. Technically, when you trust Christ and become a Christian, in a sense, you're not a Gentile. But if you're using the word Gentile against Jews, you'll see that those are two different groups of people here. And you become a Christian, and now you become part of the church. So these were we'll call Gentile Christians. Then it says they've been pleased to make a contribution to the poor. So notice the attitude. They really wanted to do that. They were excited. Whatever they got, they saw they got from the Lord and they held it loosely. They were nothing more than a channel that God gave it to them and they're going to give it to others. But the question is, who do you give it to? Well, this says a contribution to the poor. I thought that was interesting. What would qualify a person to be poor? Well, Scripture talks about the people who may be poor but don't qualify for this. If a person is not working, and I don't mean that they can't work, I'm talking about those who can work but don't work, therefore they are poor, it says, do not fund them. Perhaps that part of their life might get to a point where they'll now seek the right way to get out of that dilemma. It goes on to say, it says, for the poor among the saints, which refers to believers. So these Gentile believers, we're going to give to Christian believers, not to just poor anybody, not to just poor people that didn't work. These were genuine poor people that had needs, but were Christians. So now you have the Gentiles giving to the saints. Well, where were they? Look in the verse. It says in Jerusalem. So in most cases, the majority of those would have been Jewish Christians. So now you have Gentiles connecting to Jewish people, and these were Gentile Christians who are giving to poor Jewish Christians, in Jerusalem, and they were taking their little meager offerings, and they were giving it to them, and they were excited to do that. They were pleased to do that. Well, now that begs the question, why were these Jewish people in Jerusalem so poor that they needed that? Well, historically, if you went back, you're going to find that there was a huge, massive famine that went on. Now, when you know when there's a famine, you know that the price of food and the things that the food comes in will automatically go up you know that people would probably be losing their jobs because the money wasn't flowing, and the economy was very poor because of that great poverty, the famine that went on. Let's now set that aside for a moment because you have that going on for all of the people. Now you take Jewish Christians. Now the Jews who had a Christian family member, they usually had a funeral for them because they became a Christian. You can't be a part of our family. You're dead to us. So now they would either lose their job, they'd lose their connections, they lost any help from the family to support those poor people because they're Christians now. In addition to that, there was a lot of animosity between any Christians and those people who are non-Christians. So there was a tremendous amount of poverty going on in Jerusalem for many different reasons. So way across the land, you heard these Gentile Christians that heard about it and they had some money some resources, material resources, and they now wanted to give it to them and they were pleased to do so. Let's go a little bit further. Back to the passage. It says, yes, they were pleased to do so. I thought that is interesting. It's like the Apostle Paul is writing this to the people in Rome, the Christians in Rome, and he had to put the word yeah, like saying, hey guys, Yes, I know you're reading this, I'm telling you this, that the Macedonian Gentiles, Christians, were giving it to the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, and you know that those two bodies of people really didn't get along very well, and I'm saying, yeah, they really did this. These folks really were pleased to do this. They really wanted to do this. But notice something else, and this is very good. It says, and they are indebted to them. Now, this gets really cool. What's happening here is these Gentile Christians are saying in their heart, we've got to give to our Jewish brethren that are in Jerusalem... We're pleased to do that. Now, why am I so pleased to do that? Is this because I'm a good guy? No, I'm indebted to those Jewish Christians because it's from the Jewish people that I learned the Old Testament principles. It's from those Jewish people that we had the apostles and the prophets and the pastors and the early teachers that really helped us. So my foundation and my faith really is on a Jewish background of Christians that were used. And so I wouldn't be where I am today, these Gentile Christians in Macedonia are saying. So we are indebted to them. Now, that opens up another concept of giving. Some people say, well, don't give if, you, if you, you feel like you have to give. Well, here you have both together. I'm pleased to give, but yet there is a duty to give. And so our duty to give doesn't necessarily mean that we don't desire to give, so we give out of both. I give because I really want to give, but I also have a responsibility to give. This is how the body of Christ works. Go back to the passage. So it says here, for if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, remember the Gentile Christians sharing in the Jewish spiritual things, truths that they learn, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. So while they receive spiritual truths from the Jewish Christians, now they're gonna, the Gentile Christians are going to give them material things. Then it says, therefore when I finish this, I will put my seal on their fruit, and I will go on by way to you to Spain. Now what is that saying? Now look up here very carefully. When we give... actually, when we give, we we could be very well bringing two bodies of, of people together. You know, when we give to the missionaries here in our church, we give to the church, then the church then takes a good percentage of that and they give it to the missionaries. And as it goes to the missionaries, our missionaries are out there just doing the job for God as best they can, but they also need to have the resources to do it. They got electric bills like we have electric bills, but they're in a country where they can't have a job often and other things going on. So we now give it to them. Our missionaries absolutely love the Lord and thank the Lord for you and me that when we give. So on Sunday morning, when we think, oh, I got to pay this. I got this. I got a high car payment, whatever. But I'm going to give anyway. When we do and that money goes to them, our missionaries are so thankful for that. And on this side, we're saying, I am so indebted that you are on that foreign field because I can't go there. I got to keep this job. And I'm obligated to keep this job because I have this job. So I get paid to give you money so you can be there for me. All that kind of stuff is going on. Now, let's forget the distance of the missionaries and you and me. When you see a brother or sister in this church, like we have coming in in this next week or so, and they have a need, and you say, I have some way that I can meet that need to help them, whether it's by money or a material resource or just encouragement, I'm going to reach out to them. They're going to be so excited about this, and you are indebted to them because they're coming to help us to grow so we can stand with more rewards at the judgment seat of Christ for what they taught us and what we've obeyed to do from the Word. And they're also indebted to us, because now as they come over here, they're coming with practically nothing. Most everything they had was burned up in a fire. They lost it all. They got whatever they could. They come here to a strange island, and they're not asking for designer furniture that all the rooms have to match one another. They're just saying, go to Salvation Army and just give me a chair to sit on, basically. And they're saying, I'm so excited for that, and they're showing us how to live a life of faith.